Great Gildersleeve. Lux <laughs> <laughs> presents Hollywood. Now cut that out! <laughs> the challenge of the Yukon. <laughs> the strongest of Eskimo lead dogs blazes the trail through storm and snow for Sergeant Preston as he meets the challenge of the Yukon. <laughs> Sergeant Preston was typical of the small band of Northwest Mounted Police who preserved law and order in the Yukon during the gold rush of 98. That was the year that brought over 50,000 men swarming into the Klondike region. And the greed for gold led to frequent violence and bloodshed. But in spite of the odds against them, the force preserved a splendid record in maintaining the right. The challenge of the North was answered, and justice ruled triumphant. The cold bit into Sergeant Preston and the great dog King as they broke a trail through the icy stillness of the Yukon. The 50 below zero temperature was bone chilling in spite of heavy clothing. Even his parka did not protect the Mountie from the painful, jagging stabs of a merciless wind. Uh, thank heaven we'll soon be at Duke Wells' cabin, King. Just over the ridge. On, King! On, you huskies! Uh, we'll soon be warm and... Oh, that's strange. Ho, King! Ho, you huskies! Ho! Oh, no smoke coming from that chimney. There must be someone there. Tracks are all around the cabin. Duke wouldn't be without a fire in this weather. Hmm. If it weren't for these tracks here, I'd think Duke had left Sutter's Creek. Yeah, look in this way. There's something wrong in there. Come on, King. Yes, King. Must have been some fight. Chairs overturned, table broken. Duke! Oh, Duke! The fire's died out. What is it, King? Yes, King. He's dead. And it looks like he fought hard. But who? And why? cash box. So it was robbery as well as murder. And not a thing to... Those tracks outside the cabin. Now these tracks here leading to the cabin. But there are two sets of them. Oh, I see. These are the footprints of the murderer as he came to the cabin and when he left. And these over here, these are Duke's prints. So he was killed after it stopped snowing. 
King, get the dogs up. So that's why there was no smoke coming from the chimney. We have a murderer to track. And only some footprints in the snow for a clue. I'm King. All you Sergeant Preston drove his team on and on as he followed the killer's tracks from Duke's cabin. Sharp and clear, they led through the snow. On King! On you huskies! Right into Deadwood City, huh? Well, we might be lucky, King. This kind of weather, there won't be too many other tracks. We'll be able to follow the... Ho, King! Ho, you huskies! Ho! Hmm. Let's see. There are other tracks. Plenty of them. It won't be as easy as I thought. All right, King. You lead from here on. I'm King, on you husky. There were other tracks cut in the snow as the Mountie drove his team into Deadwood City. But King, running ahead, followed the trail till he stopped at last outside the Idle Hour Cafe. Well, this is it, huh, boy? And the murderer came here after killing Duke. Sergeant Preston. Hello there, Will. How are you? Fine, fine. Say, you ain't been traveling far in this weather, have you? Sodus Creek. (laughs) Seems to me you'd be better off making your living pan in gold. At least you don't have to be out when the old thermometer drops down to below zero. Well, the law never rests, you know. Uh, you never rest, anyways. It's a good thing, too. See that fellow drinking down there at the end of the bar? Yes, he... Smith. Bart Smith. Yep. Recognized him as soon as he stepped in here. I ain't got a circle in my pocket here. It's somewhere here, darn it. Yeah. Yeah. You see? Picture and everything. I think I begin to understand. Smith and Duke Wells used to work together back in the States. That's a fact. Of course, it ain't generally known that Duke ever crossed the law, but we get all kinds in the Yukon. Wells had been pretty straight lately. Settled down a lot. I guess he didn't want to get mixed up with Smith again. (laughs) He's smart. He'll stay away from that varmint. You can tell to look at him. He's rotten all the way through. Yes, that would be the motive then. When he saw the cash box, he couldn't pass up a chance for loot. What you talking about? Cash box loot? What are you aiming at, Sergeant? How long has he been here, Will? Blew in about an hour ago with the roughest gang I ever saw. An hour ago, huh? Yep. Say, uh, what did he have? It's on the house, you know. Oh, thanks. I'll have Oh, never mind. Don't tell me. I'll get you a glass of milk. How's business? Oh, just coming right along. This kind of weather is mighty helpful. <laughs> Fellas like to come in and swap yarns over some drinks. But all they can do when the ground's throw solid. Yes. Looks as if all Deadwood City's in the idle hour. Don't hurt my feelings none, long as they pay in gold. Say, uh, Sergeant, what's eating you? Faces a mile long. I told you I'd just come in from Sutter's Creek. Yeah? Ain't nobody much up there. I stopped at Duke Wells' cabin. He's dead, Will. Dead? Murdered. King and I trailed the killer here. Well, I'll be. You think Smith had I don't him? know. 
Who was the last man in here before I came? That's a kind of a hard one to answer. I noticed so I could swear to anything. Seems to me old Harry Barber was the last one in. That was about 10 or 15 minutes ago. But like I say, I couldn't swear to it. Smith or one of his men can approve anything. No, the only thing I can do is compare his footprints with the prints I found outside Duke's cabin. You can't do that now. Why? Better take a look outside. Must have got a mite warmer. Snow. Yeah. Looks like a blizzard to me. Hmm. Well, Sergeant, I ain't the one to meddle with the law, but... But what will? You won't be able to pin anything on him. That gang of his that swear to an alibi, you know it. Where are they? In the back room, playing poker. Well, maybe Bart Smith didn't do it. Any one of his men could have done it for him. Well, looks like you got a real problem on your hands. Oh, uh, excuse me a minute, will you? Oh, sure, sure, Will. Hey, another drink here, Will. What do you have, Dan? Oh, the shame. Yep. Well, hello there, Sergeant Preston. Uh, hello, Dan. Uh, mighty cool that evening. And if I don't wish I was down in the tropics somewhere. As long as you can find gold up here, you'll never leave it for the tropics or any other place. You know it. Yeah, I reckon you're right, Will. Gets in a man's blood. Well, better get back to the game. Winning or losing? Breaking even, worse luck. <laughs> See you later, son. Yeah, nice fella, Dan. How long's he been in the cafe? Oh, now, you don't think Dan... Is I don't jump to conclusions. I'm only checking a few points, that's all. You'll be asking me next what time I got here. Well, but uh, what are you going to do about this? Well, some of the boys are leaving now that the snow started. If you're going to do anything, you better... Waiting till a few more of the boys leave. Then I have a little plan. Sergeant Preston, with the faithful king at his side, waited till most of the crowd left the cafe. Soon there were but a handful of men gathered around the pot-bellied stove at the far end of the room, and a scattered few were still at the bar. What's that Marty doing here, bud? I don't know. Been in here now for an hour. He stands there drinking milk and looking around. Uh, know who he is? Yeah. Molly's a Molly to me. Not this one. That's Sergeant Preston. Preston? Yeah. If Preston's after you, you might as well throw up your hand. It's the end of the trail. Not for me, it ain't. Want me to call out the rest of the boys? No. We'll call them if I need an alibi. There ain't no way he'd know you and well. Shut up, will you? Why don't you go out front and beller so the whole town can hear you? Oh, now, Bart, I didn't mean nothing. I guess I'm just uneasy. I didn't plan to let Duke have it. He wouldn't split the claim, huh? Split it? He didn't want to have anything to do with us. Said he was going straight. Boy, he sure changed. Hey, Sergeant Preston, you've been standing around looking at us for a long time. Yeah, what are you looking for, Monty? Let's get out of here. No. Stay here till the Monty leaves. Yes, you're right, Tom. I am looking for something. Why in Tarnation didn't you say so in the first place? What you got on your mind? I left Sutter's Creek about an hour ago. When I was up there, I stopped in to see Duke Wells. Yeah? I found Duke dead. D- dead? Yes, murdered. He'd been fighting with a man who killed him. The fight must have started when the killer pulled a gun on him. Uh, got any idea who done it, sir? When two men are fighting, it's almost impossible not to find a piece of clothing torn from a coat, a few hairs, or a button. 
Little things like that are what most killers leave at the crime if there's been a struggle. So that's what you're looking for, huh? Pretty smart. Well, looks like we'd better line up here so you can look us over. Ain't nothing tore off my coat. Yes, that's a good idea. Can't say as I know anyone that'd have any reason to kill Duke. He's a peaceable enough critter. He sure was. Never bothered anyone. Money, I guess this leaves me out. I'm a stranger here in Deadwood City, so I'll just leave while you go on with your investigation. Go ahead, boy. You say you're a stranger? Yeah, yeah. Bart Smith's the name. Just came in from Circle City with Slim here. Well, it's just a formality. I want to see the coat on every man that can pay. That means me, too, I guess. Yes, you too, Will. Yeah, don't have any buttons off my coat. Well, let's see. All right, Tom. Well, let's see, Dan. Mm-hmm. Oh, you don't, Monty. Hey, put down that gun. I'll put it down when I'm ready. Now you get in line. Go on, over there. Straight, You're listening please. to me. Reach. I'll lay you. Higher. You won't get away with this. <laughs> you let me worry that out. He must be the one that killed Yeah, I am. I'll kill any one of you that steps through the door of this cafe. He means business, fellas. Uh, you yellow pool kid. Shut up, Dan. You already killed Duke Wells, ain't he? I'm leaving here now, see? Come on, Slim. And remember, I'll shoot anyone that steps out of this door. You'll never get through that door, Smith. Adam King, Adam King. Oh, I'll take care of him. Oh. All right, Bart, get up. Oh, my hands. That's much. Yeah, nice work, King, old fella. Hey, you're pretty handy with your fish, Will. I used to be a prize fatter in my younger days. And boy, how I'd like a chance at that no good rat. Hey, Sergeant. No, no, he's under arrest, Will. He deserves a beating, but you'll have to settle for a hanging. Hey, wait a minute. He don't have any buttons off his coat. Oh, that's right. And I don't see any other clues either. No, Will, there aren't any. It was his conscience that convicted him. You see, boys, sometimes the policeman has to play hunches. Well, I'll be pretty smart, I'd say. Yes, King, old boy. With your help, another case is closed. Challenge of the Yukon, a copyrighted feature of the Challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, brought to you every Saturday at this time, originated in the transcription studios of WXYZ Detroit. The characters and events in tonight's drama were fictitious. Bill Morgan speaking. This is the Michigan Radio Network. Here, transcribed, is another in NBC's outstanding parade of new shows. Four Star Playhouse, a repertory company of four great Hollywood stars. This is Rosalind Russell. This is Fred McMurray. This is Loretta Young. This is Robert Cummings. Yes, these are the stars heard weekly on Four Star Playhouse. Ladies and gentlemen, one of our four-star players and star of tonight's play, Miss Rosalind Russell. Thank you, and welcome to our playhouse again. Every Sunday evening at this time, Fred McMurray, Loretta Young, Robert Cummings, and I appear in new dramatizations of stories selected from Cosmopolitan magazines. Stories by the world's leading writers of popular fiction. Tonight, I am a very busy girl. Tonight, I play several people. Because, as Anna Lee Barker, wistful movie starlets trying to make up with energy for her lack of beauty, 
I have a hard time making up my mind just who I want to be. So I try to be every movie star I've ever seen since I was four. And our evening tour de force becomes a tour de force. So hop on the merry-go-round for a dizzy whirl with a dizzy girl as we bring you Robert Carson's The Incredible Annalise with Frank Lovejoy as Jim. My name is Jim Malvern, and you'll be surprised to learn that I am not a private eye. I'm a public relations man with Imperial Pictures, Hollywood, California. It's highly significant that I was in the middle of writing the word stupendous on my typewriter when Anna Lee Barker hurtled through my door with Mr. Pickrow, head of publicity. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! They are hooked. Who are you? Miss Barker, please. I hooked him. They signed the contract. Who did what? Miss Barker, they'll hear you down in the front office. They signed the contract. I'm an actress, it says here. They start paying me tomorrow. Hi, ho, silver, mink, and sable. <laughs> what is this, Pickle? A stunt publicizing the case of the missing marble? Now tell him, Pickle. Inform him. Jim, this is Anna Lee Barker. Just call me Anna Lee. I'm practically a star now. Do you want me to post the pictures? I've got my bathing suit on under this dress. Just in case. <laughs> Just to happen to have one with you. That's right. Anna Lee, this is Jim Malvern. Jim's going to handle your publicity. With thick gloves. My own publicity man. Oh, boy, I have come to high estate. Got a lot of animation, Jim, don't you think? Might come from Benzedrine or something. Oh, no, I come from Michigan. <laughs> It's something in the water, you know. Oh, boy, my own publicity man. Gee, what if they find out I can't act? Well, it'd be the usual routine. You'll be a star. You'll make a large salary for years. I have a statement for the press. For immediate release, to it. I love Hollywood. I think pictures are a form of art. Say, where do I go at the end of the week to get my pay? Jim will show you. Yeah, and uh, take it easier, honey, or you'll blow your top. Now, don't you worry about me. I'm taking everything in my stride. Say, tell me something. If I go crazy, do they keep on paying me? Only if they go crazy, too. <laughs> You want to eat? You mean now or in general? Have you had lunch? Well, I want to eat in the studio restaurant, but I can be seen. Oh, sure, sure. Maybe uh, Loretta Young or Fred McMurray will ask your autograph. And they should have it. Pickwell, this girl's got something. I'm not pretty, and I can't act. But I've got a quality of sheer enthusiasm and electricity that will get over to an audience and give them a jag. Yeah, you got more than that. I got delusions of grandeur, but in a very modest way. I got to go outside. I feel my ulcer coming on. <laughs> Well, shall we eat, Dynamo Girl? I think you ought to eat very nourishing foods to help you keep your strength up, because I warn you, I am the only non-Mohabitan whirling dervish in captivity. I will run you ragged, but the experience will be worth the ten years it takes off your life. Now, how much of your money can I spend for my lunch? Anne. Mm. Annalee, aren't you going to eat? Oh. Hey, Swami. Come out of it. I was just thinking. Any luck? It's so tragic. What is so tragic? Here I, I am at the height of my career. Hasn't even started yet. Here I am, almost rich, almost loved, almost famous. The smallest accident could ruin everything. Like how? Bacteria, a banana peel, stepping on a cobra as I get out of bed. <laughs> I figures. Oh, it's so tragic. It's so sad. Oh, cut. Who was that? Garbo. Pass the butter. Now shall we undertake to make a fragment of scent? Yes, please try, Jim. Oh, well. 
Imperial Pictures is going to give you the big build-up. That's my job here, making mountains out of molehills. Mm -hmm. That used to be my specialty. Used to be? I want somebody with experience. I was away from it for three years. The president greeted me. Ah, uh, you were in the war. Ah, uh, which one? French and Indian. <laughs> now I see why you have a slight limit. I was tomahawked by a slight Indian. <laughs> you were leading a charge? Of whom against it was against the desk in the Pentagon building. A full colonel kicked me out from under it. Ah. Oh, but you're home again. You've come home to make me wealthy. That full colonel can never hurt you again. Calling Robert Cummings. Robert Cummings, can you come to stage 13 at once? Ah, oh, someday that shall happen to me. When? Calling Annalee Barker. Annalee Barker. Will you call Operator 5 in London? Queen Elizabeth would chat with you. Annalee? All right, so I slipped the girl a fin. How would you like to handle my public? I would not seem to presume upon the domain of skilled professional craftsmen skilled in their craft. All right, all right. I'll arrange an interview with Luella Parsons. Good, what'll I ask her? Oh, we're going to try something different. Lolly's going to ask you the question. Oh? It's a new approach. There I was, Miss Parsons. May I call you Lolly? There I was, Lolly, in Michigan. A complete failure. I was busted financially and likewise spiritually when I was 14 and discovered that men do not like Gabby Dames with undistinguished faces. In addition, I'm stupid. But one day, the Dramatic Society put on a play. I got the lead because I was the oldest and biggest girl in school and the rest is history. Do you realize how much they're paying me per week, Miss Parsons? 500 clams. <laughs> Everything was an act with Anna Lee, but she had something. I wasn't sure what. Underneath all the yatada and pretense, there was something wistful and hungry and elusive. Jim, Jim, do you ever go out with girls? It's part of my profession. Oh, I know you have a pipe and a, probably a book and slippers, but are they enough? Well, next week, I'm buying a faithful dog. <laughs> Jim, darling, the moonlight is bad for mad, mad people like me. Will you kiss me? I got news for you. There isn't any moon tonight. Kiss me anyhow. <laughs> Why? I want to throw myself away. I want to melt into the darkness and to be one with eternity. I've got to stop thinking. You can't stop thinking. Why can't I? You never started. Oh. <laughs> Look, Annalee, let, let me come quickly to the point, which is that you're real nutty, and I definitely do not want nutty dames to love. In addition, I was married once. Ah, a society girl, and she was beautiful. A chorus girl, and she was terrible. <laughs> now you go get yourself somebody else without wound strikes. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, hilarious. What a lovely sardonic joke. Is this then what I've lived for, to be the butt of a mocking, indifferent face? Is it, I say, is it? Oh, cut it, cut it, cut it. You tone that down a little and don't breathe so hard. Well, I keep smelling her pipe and it makes me sick. <laughs> Annie, my girl, you need never want. You can make a good living just doing impersonations of yourself. Jim, do I walk like a camel? When I was with Lawrence of Arabia, which was never... <laughs> We were briefed in the concept that camels walk beautifully. Are my hip bones like bicycle handlebars? No. Like antlers? No. Like hip bones? No. I'm worried. Why? Well, my first screen test is tomorrow. Yeah, I know that. It's got to be stupendous. It'll be even better than that. It'll be acceptable. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
The next day, they shot the test. The full treatment. The works. She came off the set looking pale and shaken. I took her to lunch. She couldn't eat much. Only a steak or two. Her eyes were wide, dry, and steady. Come on, Jeff. Eat. Liz. I can't. Which? Neither. Oh, you were great today. I could smell my acting. I disagree. It was like a faint aroma of burning automobile tires. Recaps yet. <laughs> this is the end. I will go to my garage. I will close the door. The exhaust pipe of my sweet little Maxwell and... Ah, that's the coward's way out. Goodbye, Jim. Take care of yourself. I hope you'll find a better girl than I was to you. You weren't my girl. I was too. Well, much as I'm loath to quarrel with you in your final hours, our relationship was that of fellow wage. I'll leave you a note of farewell. I'll murder you if you do. Farewell, Tim, my beloved. Well, so long forever until this afternoon. We're going down to the harbor and help launch a new ship. I should be out of this world. When weren't you out of this world? Pick <laughs> up at your apartment at one o'clock. <laughs> At one of the nose, I buzzed the buzzer of Anna Lee's apartment. And there wasn't any answer. I tried it again. No answer. And I got worried. I got down on my knees in the hall and tried to smell gas under the door. I smelled fried onions. <laughs> I got scared. I, I ran down to the garages and back of the building. Sure enough, Anna Lee's garage door was closed and I could hear an engine running inside. I lifted the door. A wave of fumes and monoxide surged out at me. I ran inside yelling with grief. Anna Lee! Anna Lee! <laughs> Oh, I'll kill you. I'll kill you in cold blood if I have to send out for some. <laughs> you planned this, isn't it? No, no, I was really going to buck myself off. Why didn't you, but then? I had to go back for my lipstick and my contacts. I look bad enough alive. Oh. <laughs> oh, peanut brittle, don't ever give me a scare like that again. Rhubarb pie. You thought I was dead. <laughs> I was afraid you were <laughs> Whipped off your coat to flap away the fuse from my limp and pitifully helpless form. I was pulling off my coat to plug up any leaks in the garage. Ah. <laughs> Annie, I, I think I'm going to. Uh. Jim, Jim, help! Oh, he's passed out. Get a doctor. Newspaper reporters, ambulance, You are listening to the four-star playhouse dramatization of Robert Carson's Cosmopolitan Magazine story, The Incredible Anna Lee, starring Rosalind Russell, with Frank Lovejoy as Jim. The police came. So did the reporters, so did the photographers. Annalee got her publicity, only there was a slight switch. Somehow the reporters got it that I was trying to end it all, and Annalee rescued me. There was nothing wrong with me. It was relief that Annalee was safe that made me pass out. I revived in time to take Annalee to the dock and help launch the new ship. 
told me that all the beauty and glamour in Hollywood was going to be out here today. How can I compete with them? Now, kid, you've got personality. Now, you get in there and get in the act now. No, I don't want... Wait. I see something good. Come back here. And, honey... Screwball! <laughs> Annalee came back an hour later. She had in tow a big, despondent-looking lieutenant commander with a crew haircut and the padding walk of a prize fighter. I didn't like it. Commander Thornton Carlyle, this is Jim Melvin. How are you? Thornton Carlyle. Jim watches over me hmm? at the studio. Nice watching. It's an income. I'm hungry. So let's eat. Taxi. Uh, we'll go in my limousine. Limousine? Did you hear that, Jim? This highly decorated lieutenant commander possesses a limousine. Uh, how is it on carbon monoxide output, Commander? Uh, what's that you say? Now, Jim, you must stop thinking those morbid thoughts. I am just... Jim just tried to commit suicide this afternoon. I saved him. Oh, of all the out-and-out fabrications. Now, don't try to deny it, Jim. It's in all the afternoon papers. Well, come on. I know a seafood place. It's terrific. Oh, good, 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 good. I'll order jellyfish. Jellyfish. Well, I can order it, can't I? And then you tell them who I am. It'll be on the radio that I eat jellyfish. Come on, I'm starving. And there I was in the South Pacific with all those PT boats. I thought the war would never end. Oh, Commander. You must <laughs> I beg your pardon? Yeah, this thing can send you howling to the nearest snake pit. Yeah? Well, I I'm going to have another drink. Annalee? No, thanks. You hulking dipsomaniac. You know, alcohol might make you look good to me. Well, now that's a funny way for a woman to talk who deliberately picked me up. I didn't pick you up. Anyhow, all the other girls had Navy men around them, and there I was alone. An ugly duckling among swans. You are not ugly. I'll thank you not to contradict the ladies. Add a boy, Navy. <laughs> I wanted a naval escort like I saw with Virginia Mayo and Esther Williams. So I picked this big oaf. Well, now I'm an oaf. Oh, I want men to admire me. I want to be loved. Instead, I am homely, obscure, and unwanted. Oh, here she goes again. If Annalee fails in pictures, she's going to kill herself. You know that? Shut up. Kill herself? You shut up, too. Well, how? Some involved gag with an exhaust pipe. That's been changed. It'll be a gun, and I'm going to take a couple of you with me. <laughs> here in the States, I, I would never have come home. Let's go, Annalee. Can, can I drop you somewhere? On what and from what altitude? <laughs> <laughs> Annalee better come home with me alone. Studio orders. He lies in his teeth, but they're his teeth. Annalee, I don't understand this at all. My dear Commander, this has been perfectly charming. If I've said anything you missed at all, believe me, it's only because you are an ill-favored lout and deserve no better. Bless you and keep you, Commander. Annalee, don't be like that. Can't you see I'm all... Oh, Thornton, don't you understand? Suppose I should get to like you. I'm fighting that attraction now. Cut it, But baby. if it gets too powerful, can we look forward to anything but tragedy? Not a thing. Come on, Annalee. It's getting late. No, 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 no. This deep-sea flounder here fatally fascinates me. I'm going with him. <laughs> I went home reaping traffic tickets as I went. I had myself a problem, all right. I liked that girl too much. Suppose I told her that Thornton Carlyle was the biggest catch in the woods. Big money, first family, hero, all that. Where would I be? And then I thought that she, uh, well, she owed it 
to herself to make the most of the big flounder. Around midnight, I rang the buzzer at her apartment. Dear boy, what a delightful surprise. Do stumble in. Uh, you, uh, you were out with Commander Carlisle tonight. So if I was, he treats me almost as if I were good-looking instead of just untalented. Well, <laughs> Annalie, I feel I owe it to you to tell you that your big tight chum is none other than the Thornton Carlisle. Second or third. Isn't he rather big for an infielder? <laughs> Annalie, Thornton Carlisle is the biggest catch since Moby Dick. Any romance with him is absolutely 18-carat publicity. Merci. If I decide to marry him, I shall let you know as my publicity counsel. You will be the first to know it. Thanks. I'll even tell you before I tell the commander. Or school. It's nothing, really, De boy, nothing. Well, that's it. Uh, good night, dear girl. Jim. Yeah? You may kiss me, dear boy. <laughs> okay. Just one short one on that loud mouth of yours, and I'll be on room. Mmm. Mmm. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> I, uh... I better beat it, kid. Jim. Uh, yeah. You think I'm crazy, don't you? Well, you have your lucid moments. <laughs> well, now, who would be most likely to, to attract attention in Hollywood? A sane girl or a daffy one? Anna Lee. Annie, if you've been making a fool of me when all the time, when all the time I... Uh, yes, Jim? I... When all the time you was. I... Uh, never mind. All right. But Commander Carlyle is everything you say he is. A catch. Do I make myself clear? Yeah, dreadfully clear. By hook or crook, you're going to marry that bump. By hook or crook, I'm going to be married. Is that bad? And how bad, in your opinion? I want to thank you for a very strange interlude. Goodbye, Emily. Well, don't take any wooden Indians, Jim. <laughs> In the morning, I handed Pickerel my resignation as vice president in charge of publicity for Annalee Barker. They uh, set me to work sorting shiny pictures of movie stars. For a week, I kept clear of Annalee, but I couldn't help reading the papers. A couple of hep columnists predicted Annalee's marriage to Thornton Carlyle. Then on Monday morning, Annalee slouched into the office. I pegged the get-up right away. The short, tight skirt and the tight sweater. The tough girl of a thousand affairs, hard and brittle, but willing to make the supreme sacrifice for a good man. Everybody in the office tuned in right away. All right, all right. Take it. Shut up, you guys, will you? Hello, big boy. <laughs> you got a cigarette on you? Dark and deadly? Now, look. Annalise. Jim, you got to come back to me. Jim. Ann, you gotta get out of here. Ann, my breakfast is settling. Ann. Jim, I didn't mean what I said the other night. I'm not really playing it smart to get me a husband. I'm really nuts. Oh, go home, Annalee. Ring off. The whole office is watching. You gotta believe me, Jim. I've lived hard and dangerously and thrown away the best things in my life for a gag. Forgive me, Jim. Take me and my publicity back. Take you and your woman of a thousand faces away and start a movement of some kind. I see. Then this is how it all ends. But I warn you, you can't cast me off like a broken flower. One day I'll have my revenge. I'll humiliate and shame you. As you have humiliated and shamed and degraded me. Farewell, false heart. Oh. 
That was definitely the last I saw of Anna Lee Barker in the role of Sadie Thompson, that is. However, two weeks later, she returned as Orphans of the Storm, both of them. <laughs> I was at home smoking my pipe and minding my own business when the doorbell began to come out by the roots. All right, all right, granted you want in, I'm coming. You hound, you. Oh, Commander Carlisle, nice to see. Why, you contemptible cad. I didn't want to come here, James. Truly, I did not. Well, come in. Tis a night for nary man or beast. Now, what is this? Oh, you know what it is. I did not wish to come here. Truly, I did not. Cut, cut. Don't you snarl at this fine, innocent girl. I asked her to marry me. She accepted. And then... And then she... How could I come to him, a soiled dove? Soiled dove? <laughs> Why, you dirty dog. I told him about our affair. You'll marry this woman or I'll slaughter you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this act. Annie, you're going to have a baby. Uh-huh, a girl. <laughs> we'll call her Lynn. East Lynn. Then it's true. Now, what can I say, Commander? I'm going to knock you kicking, sir. Say the word, sweetheart, and I'll pulverize this pier. You don't dare. Big Jim Melvin is worth two of the likes of you. I'll give up. I'm through. No, no, Commander. Marry her. Maybe you'll find out in time who she really is. I wouldn't dare. Craven, poltron, coward, and wretch. Now what's she talking about? Firm of lawyers on Hill Street, I think. <laughs> Good night. Oh, for those quiet days in the PT boats again. Hey, peanut brittle. Well, it was an act, Jim. I expected you to deny everything, of course. Annalee, what do you want out of life, anyhow? What everyone else wants out of life. Someone to love and someone to be loved by. When I wasn't pretty enough to get that, I settled for the next best thing, a career. But I wasn't pretty enough for that either. I, I had to do cartwheels and handstands, and I did them to win second best. You didn't really want to be an actress? Uh-uh. Consolation prize only. What about those uh, starring vehicles? Perambulators. And big premieres? Well, twins would be a nice big start. What about spectacles? Well, I'll bring them to you with your pipe and slippers. <laughs> now, what about, uh, this? Oh. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jim, what if that having a baby is just enough... <laughs> Well, pardon me. <laughs> uh, cut, baby. Oh, no, Jim. Can't we have a retake? <laughs> Playhouse. Rosalind Russell speaking. This is Fred McMurray, Roz, as if you didn't know. Fred McMurray. Well, how nice of you to call. 
as if you liked the show. As if I didn't. <laughs> and I'm seriously considering asking your incredible Anna Lee to co-star with me next Sunday when I do Corey on the Four Star Playhouse. Corey? What's that? Tell us about it. It's the story of a man who's known simply as Corey. A man from the wrong side of the tracks who falls in love with an uptown girl. It's a tense, bitter story with a lot of punch, but with plenty of heart. Good, strong love story, too. It sounds very potent, Fred. And I'll be at the radio pulling my handkerchief to shreds. Okay, Roz. Thanks. Good night. Goodbye, Fred. And thanks for calling. And good night, friends. Tune in, Fred, next Sunday. Hmm? You have been listening to Four Star Playhouse. Tonight starring Rosalind Russell in Robert Carson's story, The Incredible Anna Lee, adapted for radio by Milton Geiger. Frank Lovejoy was featured as Jim Melbourne. Others in the cast were Betty Moran, George Neese, and Ken Christie. Four Star Playhouse is directed by Warren Lewis. Music composed and conducted by Albert Harris. Portions were transcribed. Rosalind Russell will soon be seen in the Columbia Pictures comedy, Tell It to the Judge. Each week at this time, one of our four-star players, Fred McMurray, Loretta Young, Robert Cummings, and Rosalind Russell, will be heard in a special adaptation of a popular fiction story selected from Cosmopolitan magazine, written by the world's foremost fiction authors. On future weeks, you will hear Loretta Young in Once Upon a Horse by Virginia Faulkner and Robert Cummings in Surprise for the Professor. Next week on Four Star Playhouse, Fred McMurray will be starred in Leo Roston's thrilling novel, Corey. Break that match, douse that fire, get a little careless, and you'll land among the guilty nine. Who are the guilty nine? They're the people who are responsible for the nine out of ten forest fires that are caused by carelessness. Last year, forest fires blackened 30 million acres of rich American forest land, an area the size of New York State. The lumber that was destroyed would have built 86,000 five-room houses. America's safety and future, your safety and future, are as sound as our natural resources. Help conserve our forests. Crush out all cigarettes, cigar, and pipe ashes. Break that match in two before you throw it away. Drench campfires twice before leaving them. It's your country. Save it from fire. In just a few moments, you are going to hear another of the NBC Symphony Summer Concerts. And one hour from now, Ethel Merman is sure to delight you in her own new show. For the best in entertainment all evening long, keep your dial tuned to your favorite NBC station. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. What'll you have? Pat Blue Ribbon, Pat Blue Ribbon, dear. And now, Pat Blue Ribbon presents transcribed... 
Frank Lovejoy in... Hi, this is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. You know, it's a funny thing, a night off. When they give you a whole night not to care whether the presses turn or not, you're like an old horse at Saddlebrook. You don't know any direction but the way back to the barn. A great yawning city, the greenest pasture in the world, and I didn't know where to start. What did people do when they weren't working? It was habit, I guess, that took me to Rush Street with its little nightclubs and cabarets. People always seemed to have fun on Rush Street. And besides, you could feel comfortable sitting alone at a bar in the hazy gloom. Randy, it's good to see you. Well, it be. Well, I'll leave it up to you, Gus. Make it, <laughs> make it something festive. Well, what's up? You win the Pulitzer Prize? Oh, no, no, it's my night off. Oh, night off, huh? Yeah. Well, what are you doing out alone? You ought to get yourself a date. A night off is no good without a girl. Well, do you know how many girls sit by the telephone waiting for a guy that's half owl and half newspaper man to call? The statistics would start. Well, just the same, it seems to me you ought to have some special girl, a nice fella like you. Why, Gus? No, I mean it, I mean it. Now look at me. I'm no great shakes. I've been tenant bar all my life. And that ain't no occupational congenial canubial bliss. You know what I mean? Yeah. But come okay. September, I've been married ten years. Oh, that's, that's good, Gus. That's great. I envy you. Well, that's what I'm getting at. That's my point. I'm just an ordinary guy, see? And I got a girl. Now, it seems to me that a guy like you in an exciting job that takes him around where he meets a lot of dolls, you, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do, and I wish I didn't. Now, in my business, I meet all kinds. Good Joes, bums, class. You get so you can tell who fits with who. Yeah, well, that figures. Well, that's exactly what I said to myself when you walk in. Randy and her. It figures. The same type. Intelligent, mature. And she's good looking. Look, Gus, it's a little early in the evening to get befuddled, and I'm, uh, I'm afraid I don't follow you. Who's good-looking? Why, that girl down there at the end of the bar, sitting all by herself. Oh, that brunette in the white dress? Yeah. What do you think? You like to take her out tonight? Well, I could get used to the idea. You know her? Well, no, I don't know, but I... Ah, well, then why bring it up? Oh, now, Randy, don't get sore. I was only thinking of you. Well, then mix me a drink. That's all I came in for. Oh, okay, Randy, you bet. But a drink ain't the answer, no, sir. Can't nothing make a man feel high like when a woman looks at him. In a special way. You know what I mean? It was a pleasing thought and a disturbing one. As Gus worked his magic alchemy back at the bar, I worked on the idea, and from time to time I looked at her in the mirror. She was studying her drink pensively, kind of sad, turning the glass round and round in her hand as though she had something deep on her mind. I was openly staring at her when her eyes met mine in the mirror. Her face became suddenly animated, and she smiled at me. Hi. Hi. I'm superstitious about drinking alone. Oh, what a coincidence. So am I. Life's full of coincidences. Well, believe me, I'm all for it. Well, mud in your eyes? Uh, to you. No. Tonight it's to you. Just to you. You're wondering about me, aren't you? How do you mean? When a girl sits alone at a bar, men get all kinds of impulses about her. 
someone to protect her. And... Well, what did you think when I smiled at you in the mirror? Well, I, uh... <laughs> you know, I guess you summed it up. You're lonesome, aren't you? Well... Lots of people are lonely. Do you mind if I call you John? Well, it's a good, plain American name, but my name happens to be Randy. I'll call you John. You call me Mary. Uh-huh. Uh, Mary, uh, Smith? How did you know? <laughs> Instinct. Well? Well, what? You haven't asked me why I'm alone tonight. Well, I figured that was your own business. I was stood up. I had a date, but he didn't come. Well, he should have his head examined. That was the right line, John. Well, I try, Mary, but I don't get much practice. You mean you don't look at other girls? Well, just uh, window shopping. Well, how about all those girls who come in the bank? And what about the girls who work in the bank? The bank? You wouldn't have me mixed up with some other fellow, would you? Now, how could I ever mix you up with anybody? <laughs> yeah. Buy me another drink, John? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Gus, refills here. Uh, better make mine a double. This is a friendly town, Chicago. You find them everywhere, these little dolls. But Mary Smith, or whatever her name was, didn't fit into the pattern. She said all the right words, but there was something elusive about her. If I could use a word that's been out of use for a long time, she was a lady. She looked younger than I'd first thought. She was no more than 25. There were no rings on her fingers, and... Well, I wasn't going anyplace anyway. Gus put the refills in front of us. I picked mine up, raised it, and turned toward her. But she'd suddenly gone cold on me. She was tense, and she was staring into the mirror as though she'd forgotten that I was there. I followed her gaze. There wasn't anybody else at the bar except a man with red hair. He sat at the other end of the bar nursing a beer, and he wasn't paying any attention to us. Let's go. Thought you wanted another drink. I don't want to stay here anymore. I want to go. Oh, sure, sure, but I got to pay the tab first. Hurry, I I'll wait outside for you. Gus, check. Hey, yeah, Randy. Hey, that'll be three bucks. Okay. Hey, come hey. on down here. I want to talk to you. Gus, I'm in a hurry. Randy, listen, I think maybe I gave you a bump steer. What are you talking about? Well, the minute you sat down with her, a guy starts asking all kinds of questions about you. Who you are, where you come from, what's your racket. A guy? What guy? Well, that guy over there, the guy that's... Oh, that's funny. He was there just a minute ago. Didn't you see him? At the end of the bar. A guy with red hair. <laughs> I paid Gus, and I hurried out. When I got to the sidewalk, she wasn't in sight. I felt let down, disappointed. Well, that's, that's how it goes. You figure you got a winning ticket, and you get left at the post. I was about to go back in and continue the fat chewing with Gus when a cab pulled up, and she was in it. I thought you'd run out on me. No, why would I do that? I thought getting a cab would save time. Save time for what? Why, we've got a lot of places to go. All right, driver. Well, I'm probably the biggest jerk in Chicago for asking a question at a time like this, but... Uh, your date that didn't show up, will he wear red hair? What? Let's give it. I love riding in a taxi, don't you? Mm-hmm. I'd like to know where I'm going, though. I never can remember. Uh, what do you call it when you go in and out of bars? Uh, pub crawling? That's it. We're going pup crawling. For a 
girl who wasn't familiar with the expression, she was very expert at finding upholstered sewers, which was strange because once we got in them, she lost interest and wanted to leave. She ordered drinks, but she only sipped them. She seemed to have a compulsion to be on the move. Come on, let's go. Well, what's the next stop? Why, Riverview, of course. Riverview? That must be a new joint. I haven't heard of it. No, Riverview Park. What, the amusement park? You know, roller coasters, cotton candy, the whip. What are you trying to do? See Chicago and die? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you came into the bar tonight. I'm glad you looked into the mirror. <laughs> So we went to Riverview Park. We ate popcorn and hot dogs. The bloated faker with a whiskey breath guessed our weight and fell short of my age by six years. I gave him an extra buck. We went on the whip and the roller coaster and the tunnel of love. She sat very close to me in the boat. Yes, I felt tempted to kiss her as we went through the dark, dank tunnel, but the boats were full of teenagers necking and, well, it just... Well, it didn't seem the place. But as we came out into the lighted park... I'm surprised at you, John. Hmm? What do you mean? You didn't kiss me. Didn't you want to? I, uh... Uh, Bud, two more tickets here. We're going through again. As we came out into the lighted park for a second time, I was... Looking at her, smugly waiting for her reaction. All right, everybody, on. Stay the boat. Stay the boat. Uh, want to go through again? No. All right, this way, folks. Find your life. Ah, uh, careful. Here, let me help you. I can get out by myself. Well, uh, what now? Something to eat? Another ride? Find me a very obliging fellow. I don't want to do anything. Please, just leave me alone. Oh, look, I don't like to complain, but... But I, uh... I kissed you back there. When you came out, you don't even look at me. What's the matter with me? I read all the ads. Huh? You know, this isn't good for my ego, talking to myself. All right, take the chance. Three shots report. Everybody's a winner. Get the little lady a baby doll. Shoot the birdies back. Get the little baby a, a doll. A doll. Get me a doll. Three shots report. The baby doll in the blanket. That's the one I want. Uh... How much of the doll? No, you can't find. You gotta win them. Three shots for a quarter. Knock the birdies down, knock them all down, you win a baby doll. Here you are, Mac. Rifles all loaded. Show what a good shot you are for a quota. Okay, okay. I, I never had much luck with these things. Oh, and it's too bad you missed. Try again. Here you are. It's all loaded. As I picked up the rifle again and looked down the sight at the moving birds, I was conscious of a terrible tension in Mary. But my concentration was on pulling the trigger. Don't. Oh, please don't. Don't. Oh, don't. Don't. I turned around and she was screaming hysterically, running blindly down the midway. Mary! I dropped the gun on the counter, but before I could take after her, a man shoved a doll into my hand. Your doll, Stone. Thank you. Mary! Excuse me. Please let me through, will you? I'm sorry. Mary! Mary! What's the matter? Oh, don't. Please don't shoot the gun. Don't shoot the gun. The gun. Hey, snap out of it, Mary. Stop it. Now, Mary, you wanted the doll? Well, here it is. What? Oh. Oh, you got it. The one I wanted in the blue blanket. You won the doll for me. Won it? No. 
No, I hadn't won it. I'd missed every shot, yet the man had handed me the doll. Not the man back of the counter, but another man. He handed me the doll and he called me by name. A man I'd seen once before tonight. A man who'd asked Gus about me. The man with the red hair. Turn in just a moment to Night Feet, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Here's a summertime snapshot of pure eating enjoyment, the good old American way. A nice, tender, juicy hot dog smack in the middle of a fresh toasted roll. And right next to it, ready to refresh and quench your thirst, a tall, cool, foaming glass of smooth, delicious, Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. Just put yourself in that picture. Mmm-hmm. You'll find Pabst Blue Ribbon has a taste all its own. A more satisfying taste. A more sociable taste no other beer can match. No wonder it makes good foods like these taste better. Listen. Here's a list of foods to choose for picnics, parties, barbecues. Campbell's Pork and Beans. Farmer's Treats. Borden's Tea. Ritz Crackers with Frankfurters. And of course, Pabst Blue Ribbon. Tomorrow, for sure, pick up several convenient Pabst Blue Ribbon Handy Six cartons. Packed with six space-saving cans. Or get the money-saving case of 24. Any way you buy it, it's the same famous Pabst Blue Ribbon flavor. Act two of Night Beat will continue after a brief pause for station identification. Back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. The night had a touch of madness to it. She'd wanted to be called Mary, and she'd called me John. I'd gone along with it. I thought it was just her way of lending dignity to a pickup. But now her hysteria and the man with the red hair shoving the doll into my hands and then disappearing, this had changed the whole picture. We'd walked away from the concessions to the edge of the park where it was quieter. All of her attention was now focused on the doll. I'll always keep it. Always. You don't have to woo me anymore. What do you mean, John? And you can drop the John stuff. My name is Randy Stone. Look, I've gone along with this make-believe because I thought I... thought I wanted to. I was in the mood for it. I thought when you smiled at me in the mirror, you just wanted to have some laughs. I did. Oh, I did. Uh, what about the man with the red hair? I don't want to talk about it. Would he be a uh, detective? Who? The man with the red hair. I suppose you're married and your husband's old-fashioned. He doesn't like you picking up strangers in bars. How can you say such a thing to me? Well, are you married? No, no, I'm not. No. Let's not talk about it. I don't want to talk about anything tonight but you and me. Just you and me. Well, Mary, if you're in some kind of a jam, if you're in some kind of trouble, why don't you tell me? Maybe I can help. 
Maybe there's something I can do. There is. Take me dancing. Dancing? Uh-huh. At the pavilion, under the stars. Our tickets ran out with the mellow music. I left Mary on the sidelines a minute to go buy another yard of tickets, but before I could get back, the band went jitterbug. And a gang of het cats went wild, swarming against the rope to get to the floor. And they were between Mary and me. Trying to get through them was like trying to swim upstream. By the time all the cats were on the floor, I couldn't find her. She was gone. She disappeared. I looked over every inch of the pavilion, and then I saw him. The man with the red hair. He was standing just outside one of the exits, just standing there, watching. As I started toward him, he left quickly. There was no doubt about it. This was the boy who had the answers, and by now I was in a question-asking mood. Hey, Mac, I want to talk to you. Not now, Stone. I felt like I'd been hit with a roller coaster. My knees folded, and I went along with the ride. The sound had changed. I felt the motion before I recognized the new sound. I was dizzy and my head hurt. It was a motor. Yes, it was a motor. I was in a car. I opened my eyes, blinked a couple of times. I was in the back seat of a taxi. Driver. You okay now? Stop the car, will you? You bet, bud, in a minute. Stop it now. We're almost there. We're almost where? Right up here in the middle of the block. What? Tony. Here you are, Tony's Pizza Palace. How did I get in this cab? Uh, your friend put you in. Hey, you really hung one on. You were feeling no pain, believe me. Well, that's a matter of opinion. You say my friend put yeah. me in? Yeah, yeah, a big guy with red hair said to drive you here. And see so you got inside. Oh, well, you don't have to worry, buddy. Paid me. Hey, you want me to help you? No, no, thank you. I've had a little too much help tonight. <laughs> cab drove away and I stood and looked at the cheesy little pizza joint where he dropped me. The sign that badly needed paint still said Tony's Pizza Palace, although Tony had sold it a year ago. It used to be the place to go late at night if you liked sentimental Italian ballads with your pizza. Tony had been a half-baked opera singer, so he furnished entertainment along with being chef, waiter, and mine host. Now the place belonged to a sourpuss who never came out of the kitchen except to take your order. I was curious. I went inside. Yep, she was there. Hi. What are you doing here? What happened to you? What happened to me? I lost you. You went to get tickets and I couldn't find you afterwards. Kids, that crowd that... Why did you come here? Tony's? Oh, I knew you'd come to Tony's. Oh, you did. You didn't have to be quite so forceful with your invitation. Shh, here he comes. Listen, Tony's going to sing for us. Well, that's not Tony. She's quiet. There's no tomorrow. This song meant something to this girl. But what did it mean? The man who wasn't Tony was singing it to her, and she was listening with her heart. She was looking beyond everything into some memory that was rare and special, and I felt like an eavesdropper watching. Well, would you uh, like him to sing something else? Not 
Not tonight. You want him to say something else? No. Mary. No more? Ah, uh, no, thank you. What's the matter? The lady didn't like it? Well, she, she thought it was great. How long have you been working here? Here? Oh, I don't work here. I sing at the Cafe Paloma down the street. Well, then what are you doing here? Oh, I don't know. Some fella came into the Paloma tonight and said, Hey, you, you know the American words to old solo meal? I said, sure. He said, good. You want to make some extra money? I said, are you kidding me? With six miles to feed? He said, good. Go on down to Tony's. When the lady comes in the white dress, you sing to her. That's what the man said. That's what I did. Uh, this, uh, this music lover who hired you, did he have red hair? That's right. He's a friend of yours? Oh, played a joke on you. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah he's a real funny man. Most women who've just had a good cry have swollen faces and powder streaks, but something had happened to Mary. When she came back to the table, her face shone with radiance. She stood beside the table. She didn't sit down. There was no tension in her now and no restlessness. Let's go. Well, it's only three. Sit down. No, let's walk. Okay. You're going to think that this is corny, but... Let's go down to the lake and watch the sun come up, Mary. Oh, it's not corny. But I can't. Why not? I've, I've come to the end of it. I must go home now. The end of it? The end of what? You wouldn't understand. Well, I might. Try me. Let's just leave it this way. There's so many things I don't know about you, and there's so much that I want to find out. I know all about you. Now take me to the L. Oh, if you want to go home, I'll get your cab. No. I want to go home on the L. She carried the doll in one hand and she tucked the other in mine. Funny, I'm out every night at this hour, but I never noticed what a beautiful city it is. Even the L. I'd always thought of it as just a dirty, rattling noise in the night, and now it was a silhouette in steel. We walked up the steps to the platform, and there was nobody there but us. In the distance, I could hear it. Just a vibration at first, and then a sound. The L's coming. I'll have to say goodnight now. But I'm going to take you home. No. Oh, I just can't leave you here. Please, Randy. Or when am I going to see you again? I don't know. But you can't just... You called me Randy. I'm glad it was you, Randy. I'm glad you were the one in the Now, Mary, wait. She darted away from me to board the L. I started after her, but I didn't get far. The man with the red hair materialized out of the shadows and blocked me. The L roared off, taking her with it. Sorry, Stone, it's the end of the line. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. What do you think... Go ahead. Slug me if it'll make you feel any better. Knock my head off. I've got it coming. Now, save the sympathy. Just give me the answer. I had to knock you out, Stone. You'd gotten separated. I had to put you back on the track. I couldn't just go up to you and say, Mary's gone to Tony's. Well, why not? Is that too old-fashioned for you? Would you have gone? I would have had to explain that this was her first night out in months. That she's been sitting in a sanitarium, staring at the wall, living in a world of fantasy. What are you trying to hand me? 
Didn't you think she acted strangely at the shooting gallery when you shot the rifle? Didn't it bother you when she called you John? Well, you didn't act exactly normal. And there's something else that bothers me. If she's a mental case, why is she out tonight, and why did you let her go off by herself on the L? I'm not worried about that. That's the L that will take her home. You see, Stone, the doctor said if she did everything just the way it was that other night, if she relived it, played it out, and then came home, well, she had a chance. What other night? Mary met a man in a bar just a year ago tonight. Here. Here, let me read your letter. No, never mind the letter. What man? Well, the letter's from him. Oh, his name is John? Yeah, John. The letter says, My darling wife... Wife? My darling wife, I'd give anything to be with you on our anniversary, but I can't, so that's that. But you go out. Wear your white dress. I won't be with you in person, but I'll be sitting beside you just the same. Go to that little bar on Rush Street where you picked me up. Or was it the other way around? Smile at me in the mirror and I'll be smiling back. Oh, I sure can pick him. A night off and what do I draw? A stand-in for an absent husband. There's more to the letter. I can do without the love and kisses, thank you. But I think it'll interest you. It goes on about reliving a night. About pub crawling and Riverview Park and Tony. Oh, I've taken the trip. I know the itinerary. Who are you, her keeper? No. No, I'm a brother. Oh, well, that's a nice touch. The brother goes along a ship on to keep everything platonic. And where is this elusive husband that I understudy? Where is he locked up? He's dead. He's dead? The letter was written in a foxhole in Korea. He was killed two days later on Heartbreak Ridge. Oh. So you see now why I couldn't tell you? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I'll see you around. You did great, Stone. Real great. Yeah, I know. Great. Ah, uh, Red... Yeah? What's your name? Sam. Sam what? Ah, don't try to find her. Give her time. She may work out of this, and then again... Look, Stone, if she ever asks about you, if she ever wants to see you... Sure, sure, I know. You'll look me up. Other guys and other jobs on the night off go home after it's over. Me? I've got a story to write about a guy I met on his night off and a lady who evaporated in the mist. In a city the size of Chicago, most everybody reads the newspapers, so maybe I can reach you this way. So I batted out. I tried to put into words the things the guy wanted to say, but didn't. The story is finished. It isn't adequate, but it'll have to do. Because after all, it is my night off. I get one last horrible thought before I turn it in. What if she reads the competition's paper? Well, I'll have to take that chance. Copy, boy. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy, is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by John and Gwen Bagney with music by Frank Worth. The part of Mary was played by Betty Moran. Others featured were Peter Lees, Jan Arvin, and Tudor Owen. Frank Lovejoy appeared through the courtesy of Warner Brothers, producers of The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. Starting the 29th, hear your hit parade.
on NBC. NBC.